Psalm 31, Part 2 of the Treasury of David. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Treasury of David, Volume 2, by Charles Spurgeon. Psalm 31, Part 2. Verses 9 to 13. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. Verse 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Now, the man of God comes to a particular and minute description of his sorrowful case. He unbosoms his heart, lays bare his wounds, and expresses his inward desolation. This first sentence pithily comprehends all that follows. It is the text for his lamenting discourse. Misery moves mercy. No more reasoning is needed. Have mercy is the prayer. The argument is as prevalent as it is plain and personal. I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Dim and sunken eyes are plain indicators of failing health. Tears draw their salt from our strength, and floods of them are very apt to consume the source from which they spring. God would have us tell him the symptoms of our disease, not for his information, but to show our sense of need. Yea, my soul and my belly, or body. Soul and body are so intimately united that one cannot decline without the other feeling it. We, in these days, are not strangers to the double sinking which David describes. We have been faint with physical suffering and distracted with mental distress. When two such seas meet, it is well for us that the pilot at the helm is at home in the midst of the water floods and makes storms to become the triumph of his art. Verse 10. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. It had become his daily occupation to mourn. He spent all his days in the dungeon of distress. The sap and essence of his existence was being consumed, as a candle is wasted while it burns. His adversities were shortening his days, and digging for him an early grave. Grief is a sad market, to spend all our wealth of life in, but a far more profitable trade may be driven there than in Vanity Fair. It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Black is good wear, the salt of tears is a healthy medicine. Better spend our years in sighing than in sinning. The two members of the sentence before us convey the same idea, but there is no idle words in Scripture. The reduplication is the fitting expression of fervency and importunity. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, 
David sees to the bottom of his sorrow, and detects sin lurking there. It is profitable trouble which leads us to trouble ourselves about iniquity. Was this the psalmist's foulest crime which now gnawed at his heart and devoured his strength? Very probably it was so. Sinful morsels, though sweet in the mouth, turn out to be poison in the bowels. If we wantonly give a portion of our strength to sin, it will, by and by, take the remainder from us. We lose both physical, mental, moral, and spiritual vigor by iniquity. And my bones are consumed. Weakness penetrated the innermost parts of his system. The firmest parts of his frame felt the general decrepitude. A man is in a piteous plight when he comes to this. Verse 11. I was a reproach among all mine enemies. They were pleased to have something to throw at me. My mournful estate was music to them, because they maliciously interpreted it to be a judgment from heaven upon me. Reproach is little thought of by those who are not called to endure it, but he who passes under its lash knows how deep it wounds. The best of men may have the bitterest foes, and be subjected to the most cruel taunts. But especially among my neighbors. Those who are nearest can stab the sharpest. We feel most the slights of those who should have shown us sympathy. Perhaps David's friends feared to be identified with his declining fortunes, and therefore turned against him in order to win the mercy, if not the favor, of his opponents. Self-interest rules the most of men. Ties the most sacred are soon snapped by its influence, and actions of the uttermost meanness are perpetrated without scruple. And a fear to mine acquaintance. The more intimate before, the more distant did they become. Our Lord was denied by Peter, betrayed by Judas, and forsaken by all in the hour of his utmost need. All the herd turns against a wounded deer. The milk of human kindness curdles when a despised believer is the victim of slanderous accusations. They that did see me without fled from me. Afraid to be seen in the company of a man so thoroughly despised, those who once courted his society hastened from him as though he had been infected with the plague. How villainous a thing is slander which can thus make an eminent saint, once the admiration of his people, to become the general butt, the universal aversion to mankind. To what extremities of dishonor may innocence be reduced? Verse 12. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. All David's youthful prowess was now gone from remembrance. He had been the savior of his country, but his services were buried in oblivion. Men soon forgot the deepest obligations. Popularity is evanescent to the last degree. He who is in everyone's mouth today may be forgotten by all tomorrow. A man had better be dead than be smothered in slander. Of the dead we say nothing but good, but in the psalmist's case, they said nothing but evil. We must not look for the reward of philanthropy this side of heaven, for men pay their best servants but sorry wages, and turn them out of doors when no more is to be got out of them. I am like a broken vessel, a thing useless, done for, worthless, cast aside, forgotten, sad condition for a king. Let us see herein the portrait of the king of kings in his humiliation, when he made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant. Verse 13. For I have heard the slander of many. One slanderous viper is death to all comfort. What must be the venom of a whole brood? What the ear does not hear, the heart does not rue. But in David's case, the accusing voices were loud enough to break in upon his quiet. Foul mouths had grown so bold that they poured forth their falsehoods in the presence of their victim. Shimei was but one of a class, and his cry of, Go up, thou bloody man, was but the common speech of thousands of the son of Belial. All Beelzebub's pack of hounds may be in full cry against a man, and yet he may be the Lord's anointed. Fear was on every side. He was encircled with fearful suggestions, threatenings, remembrances, and forebodings. No quarter was clear from incessant attack. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. The ungodly act in concert in their onslaughts upon the excellent of the earth. It is to be wondered at that sinners should often be better agreed than saints, and generally set about their wicked work with much more care and foresight than the righteous exhibit in holy enterprises. Observe the cruelty of a good man's foes. They will be content with nothing less than his blood, for this they plot and scheme. Better fall into the power of a lion than under the will of malicious persecutors, for the beast may spare its prey if it be fed to the full, but malice is unrelenting and cruel as a wolf. Of all fiends the most cruel is envy. How sorely was the psalmist bestead when the poisoned arrows of a thousand bows were aimed at his life. Yet in all this his faith did not fail him, nor did his God forsake him. Here is encouragement for us. Verses 14 to 18 But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies, and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the dying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. In this section of the psalm he renews his prayers, urging the same pleas as at first, Earnest wrestlers attempt over and over again the same means of gaining their point. Verse 14 But I trusted in thee, O Lord. Notwithstanding all afflicting circumstances, David's faith maintained its hold and was not turned aside from its object. What a blessed saving clause this is! So long as our faith, which is our shield, is safe, the battle may go hard, but its ultimate result is no matter of question. If that could be torn from us, we should be as surely slain as were Saul and Jonathan upon the high places of the field. I said, Thou art my God. He proclaimed aloud his determined allegiance to Jehovah. He was no fair-weather believer. He could hold to his faith in sharp frost, and wrap it about him as a garment fitted to keep out all the ills of time. He who can say what David did need not envy Cicero his eloquence. Thou art my God, 
has more sweetness in it than any other utterance which human speech can frame. Note that this adhesive faith is here mentioned as an argument with God to honor his own promise by sending a speedy deliverance. Verse 15. My times are in thy hand. The sovereign arbiter of destiny holds in his own power all the issues of our life. We are not waifs and strays upon the ocean of fate, but are steered by infinite wisdom towards our desired haven. Providence is a soft pillow for anxious heads, an anodyne for care, a grave for despair. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies, and from them that persecute me. It is lawful to desire escape from persecution, if it be the Lord's will. And when this may not be granted us in the form which we desire, sustaining grace will give us deliverance in another form, by enabling us to laugh to scorn all the fury of the foe. Verse 16. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Give me the sunshine of heaven in my soul, and I will defy the tempests of earth. Permit me to enjoy a sense of thy favor, O Lord, and a consciousness that thou art pleased with my manner of life, and all men may frown and slander as they will. It is always enough for a servant if he pleases his master. Others may be dissatisfied, but he is not their servant. They do not pay him his wages, and their opinions have no weight with him. Save me for thy mercy's sake. The good man knows no plea but mercy. Whoever might urge legal pleas, David never dreamed of it. Verse 17 Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Put not my prayers to the blush. Do not fill profane mouths with jeers at my confidence in my God. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Cause them to their amazement to see my wrongs righted, and their own pride horribly confounded. A milder spirit rules our prayers under the gentle reign of the Prince of Peace, and, therefore, we can only use such words as these in their prophetic sense, knowing as we do full well that shame and the silence of death are the best portion that ungodly sinners can expect. That which they desired for despised believers shall come upon themselves by a degree of retributive justice at which they cannot cavil. As he loved mischief, so let it come upon him. Verse 18 let the lying lips be put to silence. A right good and Christian prayer. Who but a bad man would give liars more license than need be? May God silence them either by leading them to repentance, by putting them to thorough shame, or by placing them in positions where what they say will stand for nothing. Which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. The sin of slanderers lies partly in the manner of their speech. They speak grievous things, things cutting deep into the feelings of good men and wounding them sorely in the tender place, their reputations. The sin is further enhanced by the manner of their speech. They speak proudly and contemptuously. They talk as if they themselves were the cream of society and the righteous the mere scum of vulgarity. Proud thoughts of self are generally attended by debasing estimates of others. The more room we take up ourselves, 
the less we can afford our neighbors. What wickedness it is that unworthy characters should always be the loudest in railing at good men. They have no power to appreciate moral worth of which they are utterly destitute, and yet they have the effrontery to mount the judgment seat, and judge the men compared with whom they are as so much draft. Holy indignation may well prompt us to desire anything which may rid the world of such unbearable impertinence and detestable arrogance. Verses 19-22 to O oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvellous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Being full of faith, the psalmist gives glory to God for the mercy which he is assured will be his position. Verse 19. O oh, how great is thy goodness! Is it not singular to find such a joyful sentence in connection with so much sorrow? Truly the life of faith is a miracle. When faith led David to his God, she set him singing at once. He does not tell us how great was God's goodness, for he could not. There are no measures which can set forth the immeasurable goodness of Jehovah, who is goodness itself. Holy amazement uses interjections where adjectives utterly fail. Notes of exclamation suit us when words of explanation are of no avail. If we cannot measure, we can marvel, and though we may not calculate with accuracy, we can adore with fervency. Which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, the psalmist, in contemplation, divides goodness into two parts, that which is in store and that which is wrought out. The Lord has laid up in reserve for his people supplies beyond all count, in the treasury of the covenant, in the field of redemption, in the caskets of the promises, in the granaries of providence. The Lord has provided for all the needs which can possibly occur to his chosen. We ought often to consider the laid-up goodness of God, which has not yet been distributed to the chosen, but is already provided for them. If we are much in such contemplation, we shall be led to feel devout gratitude, such as glowed in the heart of David. Which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Heavenly mercy is not all hidden in the storehouse. In a thousand ways it has already revealed itself on behalf of those who are bold to avow their confidence in God. Before their fellow men this goodness of the Lord has been displayed, that a faithless generation might stand rebuked. Overwhelming are the proofs of the Lord's favor to believers. History teems with amazing instances, and our own lives are full of prodigies of grace. We serve a good master. Faith receives a large reward even now, but looks for her full inheritance in the future. Who would not desire to take his lot with the servants of a master whose boundless love fills all holy minds with astonishment? Verse 20. 
Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Pride is a barbed weapon. The proud man's contumely is iron which entereth into the soul. But those who trust in God are safely housed in the holy of holies, the innermost court into which no man may dare intrude. Here, in the secret dwelling-place of God, the mind of the saint rests in peace, which the foot of pride cannot disturb. Dwellers at the foot of the cross of Christ grow callous to the sneers of the haughty. The wounds of Jesus distill a balsam which heals all the scars which jagged weapons of contempt can inflict upon us. In fact, when armed with the same mind which was in Christ Jesus, the heart is invulnerable to all the darts of pride. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Tongues are more to be dreaded than beasts of prey, and when they strive, it is as though a whole pack of wolves were let loose. But the believer is secure even in this peril, for the royal pavilion of the king of kings shall afford him quiet shelter and serene security. The secret tabernacle of sacrifice and the royal pavilion of sovereignty afford a double security to the Lord's people in their worst distresses. Observe the immediate action of God. Thou shalt hide. Thou shalt keep. The Lord himself is personally present for the rescue of his afflicted. Verse 21. Blessed be the Lord. When the Lord blesses us, we cannot do less than bless him in return. For he hath shewed me his marvellous kindness in a strong city. Was this in Mahanaim, where the Lord gave him victory over the hosts of Absalom? Or did he refer to Rabbath of Ammon, where he gained signal triumphs? Or, best of all, was Jerusalem the strong city, where he most experienced the astonishing kindness of his God? Gratitude is never short of subjects. Her Ebenezers stand so close together as to wall up her path to heaven on both sides. Whether in cities or in hamlets, our blessed Lord has revealed himself to us. We shall never forget the hallowed spots, the lonely mount of Hermon, or the village of Emmaus, or the rock of Patmos, or the wilderness of Horeb, are all alike renowned when God manifests himself to us in robes of love. Verse 22 Confession of faults is always proper, and when we reflect upon the goodness of God, we ought to be reminded of our own errors and offenses. For I said in my haste, we generally speak amiss when we are in a hurry, hasty words are but for a moment on the tongue, but they often lie for years on the conscience. I am cut off from before thine eyes. This was an unworthy speech, but unbelief will have a corner in the heart of the firmest believer, and out of that corner it will vent many spiteful things against the Lord, if the course of providence be not quite so smooth as nature might desire. No saint ever was, or ever could be, cut off from before the eyes of God, and yet no doubt many have thought so, and more than one have said so. Forever be such dark suspicions banished from our minds." Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried to thee. What a mercy, that if we believe not, yet God abideth faithful, 
hearing prayers even when we are laboring under doubts which dishonor his name, if we consider the hindrances in the way of our prayers, and the poor way in which we present them, it is a wonder of wonders that they ever prevail with heaven. Verses 23 and 24 O love the Lord, all his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Verse 23 O love the Lord, all ye his saints. A most affecting exhortation, showing clearly the deep love of the writer to his God. There is the more beauty in the expression, because it reveals love towards a smiting God, love which many waters could not quench, to bless him who gives is easy, but to cling to him who takes away is a work of grace. All the saints are benefited by the sanctified miseries of one, if they are led by earnest exhortations to love their Lord the better. If saints do not love the Lord, who will? Love is the universal debt of all the saved family. Who would wish to be exonerated from its payment? Reasons for love are given, for believing love is not blind. For the Lord preserveth the faithful. They have to bide their time, but the recompense comes at last, and meanwhile all the cruel malice of their enemies cannot destroy them. And plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. This also is cause for gratitude. Pride is so detestable in its acts that he who shall meet to it its righteous due deserves the love of all holy minds. Verse 24 be of good courage. Keep up your spirit. Let no craven thoughts blanch your cheek. Fear weakens. Courage strengthens. Victory waits upon the banners of the brave. And he shall strengthen your heart. Power from on high shall be given in the most effectual manner by administering force to the fountain of vitality. So far from leaving us, the Lord will draw very near to us in our adversity and put his own power into us. All ye that hope in the Lord. Every one of you, lift up your heads and sing for joy of heart. God is faithful, and does not fail even his little children, who do but hope. Wherefore then should we be afraid? End of Psalm 31